Welcome to The Power of One. You're in the best place if you would like some brand new writing about the solitude experience. And we're thrilled that you're joining us. So this selected work was taken from an open call for writing that was placed on the Young Vic Genesis site and also the London Playwrights blog. With over 50 entries, you're about to hear the best 10 selected, all describing something that humans can achieve or experience on their own. Reading the monologues and poetry for you today are the actors Ian McShee and Judy Leonard. So my name is Lisa Doolin and I'm going to be guiding you through this exciting programme of writing. Without further ado, please make yourself comfortable and get ready to enjoy More by Charles Lepart. I'll admit it. I have an insatiable appetite for things. All the beautiful stuff of life. Mice and China, Georgian silver, or bouchon carpets, the whole kit and caboodle. And as Coco Chanel once advised, the best things in life are free. The second best are very, very expensive. It's a passion that never leaves me. At the end of a long day of shopping, after I've gotten into bed, slipping in between my freshly pressed one super dream zone, 1,000 thread can't pima cotton sheets, I might sit up for an hour and read. Oh no, not reading as you think of it. I don't enjoy reading books, staring a lot of black marks on a page and trying to make sense of them. <laughs> oh, not my idea of fun. No, I'm a visual person. What I like best before sleeping is paging through mail order catalogues. <laughs> Hamaka Schlemmer is a favourite. Hamaka Schlemmer is a wonder world of gadgets. And that's where, as a young married woman, <laughs> I found my first cordless telephone and Mr. Coffee Machine. And Neiman Marcus with their so dark, solid dark chocolate Monopoly set. Dirigible. Yes, you pick up that too. Flying high above the world in a great silvery gas balloon. Now, to think that in this world of so many things, they are still making and selling more fantastic things. Well, I think it's a good thing, don't you? I mean, because no matter how much you have, it still gives you a reason to want more. And wanting more is a reason to go on living, isn't it? <laughs> the great golden carrot that keeps you dancing and grasping, grasping ahead until the maker draws your ping pong ball in the great mortality lottery. I look about this room, so many clocks, <sighs> Tiffany clocks and Cartier clocks. I lie here motionless, but time keeps marching on and everything I know and love moves into the past, second by second. Everything climbing up behind me, like a huge cluttered warehouse of furniture kept in the back of my mind. Remember, oh, remember that marvellous movie, um, Citizen Kane, 
and the absolute crates and crates of statuary and furniture and, and art came stacked up. I know the feelings. Rosebuds. Oh, I'm feeling peckish now. I think I'll order up some lovely risotto with shaved white truffles. <laughs> oh, it sounds scrumptious, doesn't it? And then when I'm satisfied, I'll drift off in, into a, a dreamland of merchandise. Or thinking about such adorable little blonde-haired orphan, Oliver, pleading, I'd like some more, please. <laughs> oh, yes, please, God. I'd like some more. The author of that piece, Charles Lepart, writes for stage, film and musical theatre. He lives and writes in New York City and you can visit his work at www.charleslepart.com. So I gave each of the authors the question of describing the piece using one word and the word that the author uses for that piece is appetite. Moving on, next up we have The End of the Day by Michael Noonan. I saw him in the morning while I was walking my dog in the park. He looked rather downcast and ill at ease, as if something was bugging him. We swapped a few perfunctory greetings and went our separate ways. Just after dinner, I went down to the village to put a letter in the post box, and I saw him sat on the bench near the market cross. His mood hadn't seemed to have lightened at all, and he looked unusually pensive and thoughtful. I waved at him, and he waved back. Don't forget tonight, I shouted. He nodded his head. I turned and went back home. He was always something of an oddball and an eccentric who came out with all kinds of crazy notions, ideas and conspiracy theories, but I'd never really seen him so down in the dumps before. That evening, as was the established routine on a Friday, I met up with him and we both went for a leisurely stroll in the country. We always took the same route and we ended up on the hill that overlooks the village and we strolled down the road towards it, with the intention, as always, of arriving at the public house. It was a calm, clear, cloudless night. It was a full moon and a sprinkling of stars overhead. The birds were chirping in the tree branches, and I, at least, was in relatively good humour. We would often talk about the news, politics or sport, or whatever scandal was doing the rounds on those evening strolls. So, for some reason, and at the prompting of my friend, we began to talk about philosophy and the meaning of life. My friend told me, with quite passionate conviction, that he now believes, as did the philosopher Bishop Berkeley, that matter doesn't exist. That there is no such thing as an objective, material, external world, and that only our internal, sensory experience is real. <sighs> This was obviously his latest obsession, the latest in a long line. <sighs> of course, I took issue with him straight away. I told him that that was quite preposterous and that we can only exist because an external material world supports and sustains us. It gives us food to eat and air to breathe. It puts the ground beneath our feet and that we couldn't exist without it. Nature is our very life support system. But he stuck to his guns and said the only experience and perception are real and that each person 
is entirely enclosed within his or her own psyche. And the so-called physical universe is an illusory entity. I believe that the descriptive term for that strange belief is solipsism, and people have subscribed to it down the ages. But that doesn't mean it's true. I also knew how stubborn and pig-headed he could be whenever some new obsession or conspiracy theory took his fancy. I was getting ready to argue with him again, and then I noticed, to my surprise and utter alarm, that the surrounding countryside, the roads, dry stone walls, farms, livestock, trees and hedges, the distant public house, the parish church, the buildings, houses, the cottages of the village, all began to fade away and slowly dissolve into nothingness. The street lamps in the village blanked out. Then my colleague beside me became ghostly and transparent. His voice faded away until no trace of sound was left, and he too disappeared into the void. Overhead, the moon and the stars vanished from the skies. A ghostly calm descended, and everything was enveloped in darkness. And now I can feel that I am beginning to fade away as well, just as my friend and everything else has done. I'm disappearing into darkness and nothingness. Am I real? Do I exist? Have I ever existed? Have I just imagined all this? Is the whole world just a mere sensory illusion without any substance? But what is the point of even asking these questions when I am now no more? That was The End of the Day by Michael Noonan. The next piece is entitled Note to an Astronaut, written by Olivia Gilman. Stage directions. Stella Corona, the outer atmosphere of the sun or another star. The note. Faint light in a room littered with miscellaneous rubbish, inhalers and inhalant. A millennial tenant's bedroom. Hold. About five seconds, Sam speaks. You're going to die out there. Rolling through the black void of star-encrusted blank. I often think about you and how Jupiter must provide your daily boost of vitamin C. The profound orange mass pushing your markets to stay open not crash. It must be hard with the weight of your boots. It must be a challenge to pass through zero gravity, zero hours gravity, while the chains orbiting your neck magnetize against the Earth's core and you somersault round Mercury like a gymnast watching monochromatic footage of a ping pong ball hurtling towards them, smashing through the solar system until you fall through a black hole in the system, your soul in the system. Where's the soul of the system? Red planet's got bars. You're going to die out there. I can only imagine the helmet is heavy, a plutonic relationship with this Venus behind bars. 
vacuuming each corner of her persistent ebony expanse. Nepotism, Neptune, out of tune, lost the tune. Masking moon face, man in the moon place, breath, a total eclipse and her apocalypse. One small leap for, one giant leap for, no man's landing, soon landing. You're going to die out there. Did you leave the light on? It's actually a globular cluster, atmosphere of a star, burning up equator, cosmonaut, spectacular, zodiacal light, the grounding of all flight, dust. Silence and hold about five seconds. Intake of breath. They grab a wipe from a packet or cleaning fluid and wipe the camera screen and surrounding surfaces. Handling a set of latex gloves, they ping one onto each of their hands with studied care. One gets stuck. They re-angle the glove. They pick a blue mask from their things, put it on their face, catch a glimpse of themselves in the mirror and decide against the article, abandoning it. They pick up a sack of laundry and hold it under one arm. With the other hand, they remove their towel from the back of the door and wrap it round themselves. Moving towards the door, they notice something pushed underneath it. They go to pick the leaflet up. Hesitating, they go to open their bedroom door handle. Opening the door, they call to a housemate. Expiration and slow decrease of light. Sam coughs. They close the door behind them. Empty room. Silence. And hold about five seconds. The writer, Olivia, was the immersive theatre writer for the In the Woods Festival, 2012 to 2017. And her work featured in the Evening Standard and the Independent. Her play, Band, was a Cambridge Footlights Playwriting Prize nominee. Olivia is based in South London. She describes that piece in one word, escapism. The next piece is a verbatim piece of theatre entitled Male Nurse. I was on leave when Corona broke, so I've missed a lot. I'm not certain how this will work out as no one has been tested on the wards where I work. I'm working with colleagues who I trust deeply, but no one knows who's carrying the virus. I don't want to go home. My father is living with me in the flat, so I bought, so it's tricky. He's 84. I'm scared he'll catch it from me. I asked the receptionist at work today if she wants a face mask, and she thinks I mean one from a beauty range. She has no idea. I love the way the park outside the hospital is going wild. Every time I go on my daily walk, I come across more and more beautiful flowers. Okay, some of them are weeds, but the colours are surprising. I love seeing the wildlife just for a while as I take in the sunshine for the first time every morning before my shift starts. I can hear birds sing 
and the sound of the wind through the trees right opposite where I work. It's nice. And there's a really heavy feeling at the back of me that hangs about and will not go away, no matter what I do. It's a sense of dread of what is to come. We had a new delivery of PPE this week. I just hope it lasts. The next piece is entitled Pure by myself, Lisa Doolin. Okay, hands up. You know I'm usually a fitness addict. I love nothing more than a good sweaty workout to feel good, but this just hasn't been happening lately. I mean, this is like the fifth workout I've done during lockdown. And I keep seeing my old classes pop up on the Pure Gym app, and I miss Pump with Gina and Stretch with AJ. Oh, just so much. I just want to book one. Gym is my place for working out and always has been. And when I could no longer go, I felt lost. It's not really a gym full of weights and cross trainers and step machines and I'm sorted. But being a space with zero equipment, I haven't got a clue. I'm just lost. Well, that was what I thought until I pushed myself today. I was flying on my backyard. <laughs> yes, I know it's different. And no, I definitely did not like it as much as a shiny mirrored studio with sub-zero aircon and all that water cooler gossip. But now this is, you know, is all I have. I'm going to work hard and not let my fitness go because of Corona. <laughs> and please don't say I'm not the only lazy gym bunny out there. And the word I would use to describe that is belief. The next piece is entitled To my reflection in the window of a bus that momentarily stopped at the traffic lights outside my ground floor window by Isaac Worthington. Oh, incessant thou, with bend and curve, how dare you allow so many swoops and flicks upon the same fizzog? Grey pastel smudge with bony nose zooming through. A lumpy swallow through heat. Oh, hair, oh, forever unravelling as a winter chimney knits black smoke into blue skies. It's been three and ten days of what I've coined isolation. I've looked at everyone and a thousand distractions out of this 20 by 20 window, and now I've come back around full circle and refound that which I was certainly not looking for. Quite the opposite, indeed. But there I am, 10 yards away, gawping right back. I am thing looking and thing observed. Funny looking thing I am. My lips, dormant kissed to death and resting like a thoughtless signature, only accidentally endearing. Chin and cheeks glittered with charcoal, prickled even, an affable cactus. Good God, old boy, small man me. 
You look all right, still, you're alone in strange times, but your features rhyme in some odd little way. And just as a little pip, a tiny fingertip of acceptance starts to, to peek through. My face glides away, all frown and eyes resting on Adam's wry face strapped in a muck-tinted window, edging away as the lights turn amber, becoming free, zooming away from me in this baking studio flat, heading south to Maida Vale, where perhaps it will find peace or moisturiser. The writer, Isaac, is an aspiring playwright, originally from Chorley, UK. He's currently living in Oslo, Norway, where he's studying for a master's degree in philosophy. And Isaac describes the poem using one word, uncanny. For the next piece is titled, With This Ring, written by Ali Costa. Stage direction. Lights up on Gemma aged 25 to 30, somberly rubbing the wedding ring on her left hand. Just got used to the weight of the ring on my finger. It felt like I'd known him my whole life. It was half, really. I'd known him for 10 years, loved him for five. We've been married for three. Sorry. It's been three weeks. It was supposed to be forever. I wasn't there when it happened. His friends vows, they were with him. One said it was good I wasn't there. And I wouldn't have wanted to see him like that, and that I might have gotten hurt too, but when we came back without him, even before a word was said, I knew he'd had to put it back on. Before they came back and he didn't, I used to take it off when I washed my hands because I didn't want anything to happen to it. He wasn't my other half. He was whole. And so was I. And now, I'm never going to take it off again. The author, Ali Costa, is an actor, writer, director and singer working in film, TV, theatre and voiceover. So when not performing the works of others, she's writing her own. And occasionally she sleeps. And her website address will be www.alicosta.com. Ali's based in Los Angeles and describes that piece using the word loss. The next piece we have for you is entitled The Promise and it's written by Olu Akija. Okay, I'll admit it. I'm scared, really scared. Everything in my system is telling me to run, and to run fast, and to run hard, and to never look back. Because that's what I normally do, isn't it? That's what I've done since I was a kid. 
when the going gets tough, oh, I don't normally wait for that sentence to get finished. I just go and I go hard and I go fast, but not this time. Maybe. I didn't ask for this though, did I? This wasn't part of the plan. The weird thing is, it's not like I've even got a lot to live up to as far as role models are concerned. My old man lived up to every stereotype going in the book. A drinker, a womanizer, a wife beater. <laughs> he crammed in a lot considering he was also a pretty absent father. Now, I'm not gonna make any excuses to how I've turned out because that would be too easy. And maybe now is the time for me to put those excuses back in the toy box where they belong. Things are different now. And they're not what we wanted for you. And I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I'm also sorry. It looks like you've inherited my gigantic feet. Which for a girl is probably going to cost you and me a fortune in the years to come. But luckily, you have got your mother's eyes. And her beautiful face. And that's one of the reasons I can't... I don't know if I can do this. Every time I look at you, I can see her. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not like I don't love you. I'm scared at how much I do. The things weren't supposed to be like this. From the minute the midwife put you in my arms, I've never experienced a feeling like it. Such an amazing feeling. Your mum? Thing is, she would have been so very proud to be here with us right now. It's all she ever wanted. All we ever wanted. She was so looking forward to meeting you, my little princess. And the thing is, she's been called away. It seems they didn't have enough angels in heaven and they knew how much love your mummy had inside of her. So they wanted her to share that love up there in heaven. So it's just you and me now. Just me and you. I don't know how we'll cope without her. But we'll find a way, I promise, together, we'll find a way. The author, Olu Alikija, is a playwright, script reader and screenwriter. And his work's been produced at several leading London theatres and festivals. Olu is based in London and describes the piece with one word loss. The next piece is entitled Akoja in her room and it's written by Jessica Mensah. I'm not sure what I want but you treated me nicely. You spent time with me and took me out and we connected. Who were Elements of you that I was not sure about, uh, and I chose to ignore it and, and give you a chance. Is this the one, God? You seem to be going to church. I mean, am I ready for a relationship? Can I do this now? 
you were ambitious and, and had drive, I could see both our visions fusing into a beautiful future. Yet, is this the future I want? You called me pretty and cute as you looked into my eyes. I could feel myself falling for you. And after careful consideration and prayer, I decided to be fully committed and I assumed you had too. I stayed persistent in our messaging and, and then you began to back down. I, I assumed you had just become very busy. And then you stopped messaging me. Jessica Mensah, the writer, is a theatre director. She graduated with a BA in theatre and performance in 2019 from GSA at the University of Surrey. Jessica has trained and worked with organisations such as Tiasa Fahouzi, Kiln Theatre, Nouveau Riche, Theatre 503 and The Young Vic. Jessica's based in London and describes this piece using the word love. Our next piece is entitled No Smell. It's written by Archie Wilde. The virus? I got away lightly. No smell. I can stick my head in a jar of coffee and detect nothing. I can bathe in old spice and whiff not a jot. I can pack my nostrils with festering fromage and be affected not. The zest of lemon, the core of onion, the holy trinity of finely chopped jelly, ginger and garlic, or the usually oh so pungent aroma of decomposing Margate seaweed, it'll stop you dead in your tracks. Nothing. Incense or bleach, freshly ripped mint or a freshly baked madeleine dipped into tea, wet pine forest or wet dog, dusty leather or fresh tobacco fingers. It's all the same to me. Profoundly neutral. Remembering such smells makes you remember that smell makes you remember. The memory of smells memory. Remembering things is not necessarily remembering things as they were though, is it? And after it's all dead, after it's all broken, after it's scattered and the landscape of horror is left bare, smell and memory will remain, hanging, poised for reclamation, up for grabs. What has become sharply apparent, searingly vivid, is the shallow absurdity of the unimportant. That too will be up for grabs when we attempt to roll back out the normal, but it will stutter and jolt and falter. Oh, I fucking hope. Archie, the writer, has recently been awarded an MA in text and performance from RADA and Birkbeck. And at RADA, he wrote and performed his one-man desk play entitled Attention Must Be Paid, Part One, Returning to Ripley. Archie teaches drama at City of London School for Girls and lives between London and Margate. And this piece was described by the author as Proustian. The next piece that we've got today is Officially Recovered, and it's written by Rex McGregor, Stage Direction. Taz is walking through an airport, carrying a travel bag, eating from a tub of ice cream or a cone, and making a video call on her phone. She is a confident multitasker. 
Hey, babe, I'm on the move. I'll be home before you know it. This is a breeze. The airport's nearly deserted. Just as well, because I have this irresistible urge to hug total strangers. <laughs> Grab some random dude and smother him with kisses. Oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm holding back. <laughs> no. No one lets me get close anyway. Uh, people see me coming and they freak out. Like a ghastly danger to public health. Funny. Now I think of it, I'm the exact opposite. I need a t-shirt saying, officially recovered. My immunity is a blessing. I have a social duty to spread it around. And people should forget ice cream. And if they want a delicious treat, my saliva's ready and waiting. <laughs> Bursting with curing antibodies. On oh, nearly at the gate, uh, they've upgraded me to first class. And not just because of the empty seats. They're paying tribute, tribute to my superior status as healing goddess, the mother of all saviours. <laughs> well, the flight crew need protecting. Is she the captain? Well, male or female? I'll sit on their lap if required. It'll be uncomfortable, but I must make sacrifices for the public good. Oh, ciao, babe, and don't get jealous. I'll save my sleepy, super slurpy tongue action for you. <laughs> the author, Rex McGregor, is a New Zealand playwright and his short comedies have been produced on four continents from New York and London to Sydney and Chennai. You can check out his website, rexmcgregor.com. And the word that the author used to describe that piece is revitalised. The next piece is a verbatim collaboration and that's entitled Hospital Patient. It's been so hot. My legs started swelling up again. I have a history of DVT, so I called 111 and they said to go straight to hospital. I went on the bus to UCH and they admitted me, but they were treating me as if I had COVID. I was in a room on my own behind some glass wall. I could see the nurses out there and they were brilliant, but I felt so alone sat there. When the consultant finished the test, I realised in the past seven weeks, it was the first time I'd been touched by a human being. So the good news is the test has come back and I haven't got an embolism. I was so tired, I just cried. But I have got to go back tomorrow for further tests. And I can't stop thinking of all those people who have to die alone. I remembered when my mum died six years ago, I was there with her holding her hand. And I thought, who's going to do that for me? So I got drunk and watched 10 hours of TV. Next piece that we've got is entitled Mad Woman in the Attic. And it's written by Martha Watson All Press. 
Now feels like a wonderful time to reread Jane Eyre or the yellow wallpaper. God, I wish my room had yellow wallpaper right now. I'd make the metaphor that bit more palpable and ultimately satisfying. What I mean to say is now seems a good time to investigate that ever lovely literary trope, the mad woman in the attic. Why now? That's obvious. As I enter the billionth day of not being able to leave my room, the billionth day of holding in a piss because I don't want to wee, because I can't wash my hands anymore because they're dry and cracking and beginning to sting. As I enter this day with the rest of the population, it occurs to me that this is what we are now. We are the mad women in the attic. I understood it intellectually before, how Bertha Mason was, of course, a metaphor for passion and disorder. It always seemed unfair to me to paint this woman so poorly, and to have her to be the obstacle of the protagonist, rather than offer her the space to be her own centrepiece. I mean, I understood it intellectually. Now, Fear is creeping in that I might understand it a little more emotionally. I know the boredom slowly encroaches on my brain, like a slow motion drill through the skull. I wonder if they'll find me at the end of lockdown, on all fours, encircling my room whilst the yellow wallpaper that I don't have is shredded around me like mental confetti. I've organised my clothes, I've bought my underwear, I've written an itinerary for myself every fucking day, I've read, I've written, I've watched Tiger King. Oh, nothing's making this easier. I mean, social media blasts me with women who are going to come out of this with new skills and new ads. Oh, but here I am. I feel nothing but stuck. I feel the walls sucking the oxygen out of me. Hitting my lungs and withering my heart. Is that allowed? Mm. I feel my creativity swinging like a pendulum in a grandfather clock. I can't seem to catch its rhythm. I feel so, so many things, but everything I feel, it has nowhere to go. It's sinking out of my pores, but then reverberating around the room and bouncing back into me so that I can just feel it again in a new direction. I just deeply want to know, want someone, anyone, to tell me what is the appropriate reaction to this? I mean, the answer, of course, is in the pages of Bronte and Perkins Gilman. The appropriate reaction to this, in your boredom, in your attic, the same reaction to this is, of course, <laughs> madness. The writer Martha Watson Allpress is an actor, writer, currently training in a BA acting course at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And loneliness is the word that she describes her piece with. Which concludes our offerings for you today on The Power of One. And we'd like to thank all of the authors for their inspiring work today. The writing was sourced after a call out on the Young Vic Genesis site. 
the parts today were read to you by Ian McShee and Judy Leonard. Ian McShee loves acting, relishing the combination of empathy, technique, teamwork and energy required to bring a character to life convincingly and tell a story entertainingly. Judy Leonard's performed at Oxfordshire's Pegasus and Unicorn Theatres with the Studio Theatre Club. She performed Top Girls at the Old Fire Station with Oxford Dance Theatre and Terry Pratchett once said, Judy Leonard is Nanny Og. It's been an absolute pleasure for us to explore the concepts of what can be achieved, experienced or felt when in solitude with you. And our thanks go to the University of Glasgow Stay at Home Festival for having us today. And there's so many amazing events on their website to enjoy. It's been a privilege to be part of it. And we're glad that you are safe at home. Please stay safe so that we can all see each other at theatres, bookshops, book clubs very soon.